Uh, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 2 this evening if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles and, and find that. Uh, in our last lesson, you may remember, uh, King Solomon personified wisdom as this lady crying out for your attention amidst the clamor and the noise of this world. Wisdom is making herself known. She's, she's out in public. She wants to help us. But this world is filled with a lot of other voices crying out to you as well. So you're sort of left with this question of who will you listen to? And we need to respond to wisdom's call before the storm of trouble comes. If you refuse God's wisdom, trouble will come. Whether it's in this life or at the judgment or both, it's crucial that we respond to Mrs. Wisdom. So tonight as we look into chapter 2, we're going to see some overall encouragement to do that, to listen. But it goes a little deeper and we're going we're gonna to get some details about what that looks like. What does it look like when we respond to wisdom's call? What if I don't want to be that fool who hates knowledge? What if I don't want to be that simple, complacent person who could take it or leave it? What if I hear, hear wisdom, hear the call, and I want to become her student? Then how do I do that? What does that mean? And so this chapter is going to begin like that. Let's just start by just a, a quick overview of the chapter so we sort of know where we're headed. The first four verses we'll see in just a minute uh, are exactly what I just described, this how to respond to wisdom's call. Okay, so Solomon is going to mention here in a minute, we'll see three responsibilities that we have. Three expectations he's going to give us. We'll see those in a moment. Um, but that's really, it's not anything completely new that we haven't seen because I've mentioned in earlier lessons that this search for wisdom, it's not some easy, quick fix sort of thing. God isn't just going to magically zap wisdom into your heart without any effort, without any motivation, without any work from you, any more than he would just zap food into your stomach. He provides our food, doesn't he? But he also expects us to work for it and then actually eat it. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. So there are some expectations laid on us. And if we fulfill those expectations, if we respond that way, then we can absolutely rest assured that God will fulfill his sort of end of the bargain, so to speak. And so in verses 5 through 11... Solomon's going to detail a couple of blessings or results that, that flow from the response. And there's going to be two specific things he mentioned, and one is going to be that if we do these things, we'll understand the fear of God. That's really deep. But we'll have this, this better understanding of what it means to fear God, who He is. We'll have a deeper fellowship with Him, better, better knowledge of Him. And then the second thing that Solomon will mention is that we will understand what it is to live right. It's a very simple way of saying it, but he'll talk about ethics, morality, righteousness, and essentially it's we'll have a better understanding of living the way God created us to live on this earth. Remember, that's what wisdom's all about, right? Living skillfully in the fear of God. And then with that understanding, verse 12 through 19 we're going to see that there is some protection and some safeguards in this life that wisdom will give you. When we begin to see things the way God sees them, then all of a sudden, some temptations lose their luster. 
they're all of a sudden not as cool. They're not as appealing. We see them for what they are. They're dangerous roads that lead to destruction. Solomon's going to mention two main temptations. We'll, we'll see these in, in a little while. He's going to mention an evil man who, if he's anything like the street gang of chapter 1, he's just going to promise us easy money, quick success. Um, doesn't matter if we hurt people as long as it benefits us. Uh, his words are a trap. Don't believe him. He's going to talk about that. And then Solomon's also going to mention an evil woman who promises us easy pleasure. But if we seek wisdom and we gain wisdom, we'll be protected from those sorts of things. And we'll talk about what that means here in a little while. And then in verse 20 through 22, we just have Solomon's kind of summary, his conclusion of this chapter. Uh, and he summarizes it. The results of seeking wisdom instead of wickedness, and it's, it's rather simple. Wisdom offers blessings from God. And wickedness does not. That is elementary, but that is, that is the summary. Uh, wisdom brings blessings, wisdom does not. So let's start by looking at the first four verses here uh, in chapter 2 that teach us how we should respond. And, and you'll notice as we read these verses the three main responsibilities because we'll see the word if three times. Those are the three main responsibilities. I'm reading from the ESV. Solomon writes, My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, and I know this is rough, but let's just stop there and leave it hanging. Let's, let's not look at, at the thens just yet. Let's just focus on the ifs for just a minute. Our first response should be that we must receive and treasure up God's teachings. That is the first expectation Solomon gives us. That is the first how we should respond to wisdom. This phrase, treasure up, is, is this really awesome phrase. It has the idea of saving something, storing something up, even the idea of hiding something to keep it safe. This was the same word that was used in Exodus when Moses' mom hid him for three months. So we think of the word hiding. Moses' Moses's mom didn't hide him in the sense that, uh, you know, she lost him. Um, that, oh my goodness, what I do with baby Moses? I hid him and have you, ever, have you ever put something in a safe place so you know where it was and then you forgot where that safe place was? That's not what Moses' mom did. The idea of her hiding the baby for three months, even though Pharaoh had commanded every Hebrew boy he should die, was that she was keeping him safe. She was keeping him protected. And that's, that's the idea of the word here. It's the same word used in Psalm 119, verse 11, which many of you will know as I start to quote it, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Well, the psalmist didn't say he lost God's word in his heart and couldn't find it but that in his heart he had stored up God's word. He had, he had stored up treasure there, keeping it safe, keeping it with him. And that's a, a beautiful parallel to Proverbs 2.1 because notice at the end of verse 1 where these received teachings should be hidden. Where should we be storing up all of these things we hear from God's word? Notice at the very end of the verse, Solomon says, Treasure up my commandments with you. I love that. Have them with you. 
I think it echoes and mirrors what the psalmist said about hiding your word in my heart. If you're anything like me, before you leave the house, you try and make sure you have everything you need with you before you walk out the door. And I have this very, uh, very nice routine down pat where I tap three pockets. All right? Cell phone, keys, wallet, good. I've got everything I need with me. I've got to tap all three of those pockets because those things have to be with me. Do we ever leave the house and sort of figuratively tap our heart and say, I hope I've got God's word with me? I hope that I've been immersed in scripture this week and there's some things that I've learned this week, last week, throughout my life that I can keep with me that are more important than my keys and my wallet and my cell phone that I think I need with me. We need God's word with us. And that's what Solomon is saying here. To respond to wisdom's call the correct way, we must receive and store up her teachings. And then really quickly, we won't dive into this, but verse 2 tells us how to do that. And it's essentially just be attentive. Pay attention. Actively listen. Um, open up your heart. Stretch it out and, and incline it over God's word to hear from him. Isn't that what James said in a way? Didn't he say, be quick to hear? Be ready. Be aggressive in your hearing. Be ready to do it. So the first thing, receive and treasure up God's teachings. And the second thing actually kind of has another parallel with James. Do you remember what James said about seeking wisdom? And if we lack wisdom, what we should do? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generally to all without reproach and it will be given him. That parallels verse 3 here in Proverbs chapter 2. We must pray for wisdom. Solomon says it this way. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. It's interesting that Solomon uses the same words here to describe our prayer as he used to describe Lady Wisdom's call in chapter 1. This this calling out and raising your voice, same phrases used to describe how Lady Wisdom walks through the marketplace and calls out to you. So um, if we go back to chapter 1 and think about that, it's, it's like there is this Mrs. Wisdom strolling through the market saying, who wants to be my student? And we should be saying, I do, I do. Respond to that. And this is, this is the idea of praying for wisdom. We must receive and treasure up God's teachings. And we must pray for God's wisdom. Pray for him to help us. Pray for him to be involved in this. And then finally in verse 4, we must search diligently for it. He says, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Do you remember talking about Job 28 a few times? Uh, in Job 28, the, the author there likens the search for wisdom to the search for treasure, precious jewels and things hidden in the earth. And um, so it parallels Job 28 a little bit here, but the thought of searching for wisdom with that same intensity, that same desire, that same passion that you, will, you would search for a hidden treasure. You know, if I told you there was a diamond buried in your backyard, this, you know, the, the world's biggest diamond, y'all would leave right now. Y'all wouldn't even wait for me to finish the lesson before you start going and digging up your backyard. We would, we would be dirty trying to find that. Men will do anything, including risking their lives for a chance at fortune, right? In 1848, you know, gold was found in California. 
and people all over the world absolutely flocked to California. And by 1855, it's estimated that over 300,000 gold seekers from all over the world had arrived. 300,000 people in the 1850s? The largest group was, was Americans, but there were large groups from China, Mexico, Great Britain, Britain, France, Australia, other countries. And it's pretty astounding because traveling was not that easy back then. It wasn't, it wasn't easy to get to California in the mid-1800s. Depending on where you came from, you either had to sail all the way around the tip of South America, which was about a five to eight month journey. That's a long time on a wooden ship. You had to sail to the Isthmus of Panama, then take canoes and mules through the jungle for a week, then wait for a ship from the Pacific that was sailing to San Francisco. That was your other route. There were a couple overland routes that existed, one that started in Veracruz, Mexico, and another one that was across the United States, about 2,000 miles. They didn't have air-conditioned SUVs they were driving across with. And then obviously those who came from Asia had to cross the entire Pacific Ocean. And each of those trips carried deadly risks from shipwrecks to typhoid fever to cholera, etc. But still, with those risks, with the painful travel, with all the time, with even the uncertainty that you'd even find gold, people did it. People went to California to find their fortune. They risked their lives. They'll search diligently for treasure. And Solomon says, that's the attitude we need to have about wisdom. In fact, Job 28 told us wisdom is more precious than all the gold and silver you can dig up anyway. Now, those people that went to California digging for gold, they didn't have any guarantees they would even find any, right? But this is what's awesome about God. If we, if we meet these expectations for us in the way we, we respond to wisdom's call, we actually will be blessed. Notice, notice these two blessings that, that will happen if we, if we meet these expectations in verse 5, uh, verse 5 through 11. You'll see two statements that start with the word then. So those are very technically your, uh, the, the finish of your conditional statement. I won't use the, the fancy English terms for those. You can ask me later what that's called. But. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, verse 5. Okay. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, and then we'll sort of stop there again and kind of leave it hanging because he's about to get into a couple of specific uh, examples of how uh, wisdom guards us against certain temptations. So, so we'll stop there. If you do your part, God will always do his. The conditional element is not with God, it's with us. If we will seek His wisdom, if we'll receive it and treasure it and pray for it and search for it, He will be found. David actually told Solomon that one time. The conditional element's on us. 
He always fulfills his part. And the first result or blessing of us meeting those expectations is that in verse 5, we'll understand more of God. We'll understand more about what it means to fear the Lord. We'll understand more about this God who made us and who saved us. And Solomon says you'll find knowledge of God. Doesn't that mirror, in a way, what we saw in our, one of our introductory lessons, that just the fear of the Lord, this is the beginning of wisdom anyway. That's, that's the foundation. But remember, I made the point, I think it was a quote I borrowed, that fearing the Lord is a doorway and a pathway. Here I think we see maybe the pathway aspect of it more, is that as we hear the call of wisdom and we want to learn more, we want to be involved in this this genuine pursuit of true wisdom, yes, it begins with fearing God, but then that's where it leads to. It leads to even, even a deeper understanding of what that means and everything that entails. It leads to deeper fellowship with God because He's the one who gives wisdom anyway. And that's important because notice verse 6. Verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. This is important to, to sort of slow down and remind ourselves of this because we don't need to come away with some sort of arrogant pride because <clears throat> I met the requirements of the first three or four verses there, Brother Matt. Look at me. Hang on. That's just the method you at your disposal. That's not the source. That's how you should respond to wisdom, but God is the source of wisdom. And I love what one author says about this. He says, what you find is what he gives. Think about that. What you find is what he gives. And he says, discovery and revelation are inseparable. You're not going to find any true wisdom outside of God, no matter how hard you search for it. It's not there. And you're not going to receive any true wisdom that he doesn't give you. There are certain things that are expected of us. But we're totally at God's mercy because he's the source. Remember Job 28 says wisdom is valuable, but y'all don't even know where to go look for it. But God does. We need to be thankful that he has revealed himself and his wisdom to us in his word and in his son. And how merciful and amazing is it that if, that if we will if we'll repent... If we'll, if we'll receive his teachings and we'll pray and we'll, we'll dive into his word, we don't have to wonder like the California gold rush seekers if we're going to find gold or not. 100% you will find it. It's there. That's awesome. So then in verse 7, seven and 8, just a kind of a quick summary, we start to see some of the protection that wisdom offers in this life. You see phrases like God being our shield guarding our paths, watching over us. And so this is going to foreshadow some of the protection we'll see in a few verses. But it also sort of sets up the second blessing. Okay, the first blessing or the first result of us meeting our expectations is that we'll understand more about God. The second uh, result is that we will understand more about living for God and what that looks like. Look at verse 9 again, and, and you can look back in verse 7 and 8 to see some of these words like, like upright, um, integrity, verse 8, uh, justice. But look in verse 9, and you see these words like righteousness, justice, equity, every good path. 
These are ways to describe our lifestyle. When he talks about the way of the saints and the paths of justice, those who walk in integrity, and now this, this string of words in verse 9. God's wisdom is not just academics. It's wisdom of character. It's not just trivial pursuit knowledge. It's skillfully living in the fear of God. And so if we, if we search for that and pray for it and, and, and dive into it, we're going to learn more of God. And we're going to learn more about how to live for Him in these upright, moral, ethical, honest ways. Because we understand about the one who created us in the first place. And this is, I want you to look at verse 10 and 11. This right conduct is, is, is possible, not because wisdom gives us this checklist of do's and don'ts, but because wisdom changes our wants and our wants. Wisdom actually becomes part of us. Look what he says in verse 10. For wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. How awesome is that? Did your parents ever tell you as a child to keep trying certain foods because your taste might change? Or maybe you children are tired of hearing that. I'm never going to like Brussels sprouts, Mom. I don't care how much you tell me to try it. When I was a kid, if you put guacamole in front of me, I was probably leaving. I wasn't going to sit there with that green stuff in front of me. But now avocados are one of my favorite foods. Love them. If you can find that five-minute window where they're perfectly ripe, you know, they're awesome. That takes wisdom. <laughs> I'm still searching for that wisdom. Tastes change as we grow, right? God's wisdom is like that in our lives. Just like growing up changes your taste buds, Maturing in God's wisdom will change your appetite for life. If I'm going to keep the food metaphor going a little bit, but sort of reverse it. Most children love candy, right? They don't care how much sugar is in it. Have you ever seen a kid pick up a Reese's and look at the back of it first? No. It tastes good. They want it. They're going to eat it. But at some point in adulthood... You might find that I might need to check that label because there might be some consequences for me in that, you know. I'm not condemning kids eating candy or adults eating candy or anything like that at all. I'm just showing that as we grow up, as we mature, we might realize maybe what's better for us, right? Is it better to eat some broccoli versus a pile of Reese's health-wise? Yeah, I want the Reese's, right? But when wisdom is in our hearts... When it becomes part of us, then our souls love the taste of God's knowledge. He says it's pleasant to your soul. That's what you want. That's what you crave. That's what tastes good. It tastes good to be living the way God designed me to live. That's satisfying. I don't want to eat the disgusting, unhealthy, sinful things that don't have the spiritual nutrition I need. There's consequences for eating those things. So when we mature in God's wisdom and we, we learn from it and it invades our heart, 
we have this change in our appetite, the way we see things. And that then becomes a major factor in why we're protected and safeguarded from certain things in the world. All right. What was once appealing, what was once alluring and tempting, doesn't really look as good now. And Solomon's going to give two, spe two specific temptations that wisdom guards us from along those lines. Look at 12 through 15. Solomon says, Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So this first specific temptation that, that wisdom guards us from is that um, God's wisdom guards us from evil man. It makes me think back to that street gang from chapter 1 who uh, is using peer pressure and, and pulling on your greed to try to get you to do something evil with them. And to some people, there's a strong temptation in that, right? The thought of being part of the gang, the thought of having some quick success, some quick easy money, some quick treasure, that appeals to their flesh. That's, that's tempting. They don't care if they're doing something wrong as long as they get something good out of it. They don't care if they hurt others. But with God's wisdom with you and in you, God's wisdom allows you to see this world through the eyes of God. So you have an entirely different view of this man who's coaxing you to join him than the other people do. God's wisdom lets you see things through his eyes. And so notice how this man is described. Once again, I'm just going to sort of pull out a few things from these verses. But you can sort of scan down and look at verse 12 through 15. He's using twisted words, verse 12. They're perverse words. Verse 13, you see that he's walking in darkness. You see in verse 14 that he's walking or delighting in evil. You see in verse 15 that this is a crooked, perverse, twisted path he's walking down. Well, those phrases don't sound very tempting, do they? They don't. That's a little different than the street gang, right? Coming up to you saying, we shall find all precious goods and, and uh, we'll fill our houses with plunder. Now that sounds good. That sounds tempting. And I know the street gang made no pretenses about how they were going to get those goods. But they made it sound attractive. But our taste buds need to change. With God's wisdom, we can now see things as they truly are. And this evil man is a perverse, twisted man who loves evil. He's walking down the wrong path. Why would I want to go with him? And there's one more specific temptation that we're safeguarded from. Uh, and it has to do with sexual immorality. Look at verse 16 through 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So just as God's wisdom guards us from the evil man who may promise us evil, uh, easy money, God's wisdom guards us from the evil woman who promises easy pleasure. And since Solomon is this father figure speaking to his son, he uses a woman as the temptress because he's, he's speaking to his son. But the same is true in reverse. Evil men could try to tempt a uh, woman as well. It's just as wrong, just as dangerous. 
And Solomon's going to have a lot to say about sexual morality as we work through Proverbs. It's important. But right now, let's sort of keep this big picture in, in our context of this chapter. And think about the, the verses we just read. And you can look, look back through them real quick. But Solomon gives us a very dramatic picture of the way things really are with this woman. On the surface, she may be this physically beautiful woman who has flattering, seductive words. Everything around her seems to be pretty. Her house seems to be inviting and enticing. But we've been blessed with something that lets us see different. Looking through God's eyes, we see this the way it really is. And so, verse 16, this woman's an adulteress. In verse 17, she's this unfaithful covenant breaker. In verse 18, her dwelling place is not this nice, inviting house. It's a cemetery. And this cemetery is filled with the ghosts of the men she seduced before you in verse 19. God's wisdom lets us see that this woman is a woman of disgusting character. Inviting you to just be another skeleton in the graveyard of her past experiences. You say, well, when you, when you put it that way, Brother Matt, she kind of loses her allure. Exactly. Exactly. God's wisdom allows you to see the true reality of things. You can't walk into this lady's house and walk out unscathed. I read one author who said, there's no such thing as a one-night stand. It doesn't exist. Through the eyes of God's wisdom, we can see the reality of these deadly traps of sinful experience with the evil man, with the evil woman. And so, wisdom guards us from that. There's some protection that God's wisdom offers us. There are sinful consequences to falling with this evil man or falling in with this evil woman. But the wise man and the wise woman, they're safeguarded from those because they, they see the dangers. They see it for what it truly is. And we're going to turn away from that. Because those things don't please God. So let's look at verse 20 through 22, just sort of briefly look at Solomon's summary here. Verse 20, So you will walk in the way of the good. Keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Remember how important the land was to the Jews. Uh, a couple weeks ago I preached a sermon that, the whole point of the sermon wasn't this, but part of it was, was how, how tough it would be to survive in the ancient world without land. And, and to the Jews, there's this very close connection with the promised land and how, how blessed they are to have it. And so... Here, the idea of the land, and you would enjoy those blessings of God if you'll search for his wisdom and you'll find it and you'll live the way he wants you to and you'll enjoy God's blessings if you serve him. Now for us, if we seek wisdom, if we let it change us, we keep it with us, we'll enjoy God's blessings as well. That won't happen with wickedness. I told you the summary is very simple. Wisdom offers blessings from God. Wickedness does not. But that's really the way Solomon sums up this chapter. You only have two choices, wisdom or wickedness. You can't be that simple, complacent person that says, I don't really care either way. Then you've chosen the wickedness. 
Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You can't be Switzerland when it comes to God. You have to pick a side. All right. Let's have our conclusion, our applications here. There's three main points I want to summarize and remind you of, uh, takeaways from tonight's chapter. Uh, the first, those first couple of verses there, remember there's uh, this threefold expectation on our part for how we should respond to wisdom. And the first one was to receive and treasure it up. Treasure up God's teachings. Store it up. Hide them in our hearts. Take them with us. Protect them. Use them. Secondly, pray. Matches what James said. Same thing Solomon says here in just different words. Cry out to God asking for his help. Because you're crying out to a good God who wants to give you wisdom. Pray for it. Thirdly, dig into scriptures like a miner digging for gold. It's all there. Everything God wants you to know about him, about, about you, about this world, everything is right there. Dig it out. So we have some responsibility in this. God's not going to force wisdom on us any more than he will force salvation on us. But let's remember he's the source. We only receive what he gives, which is what he's revealed. But if we meet these conditions, we will absolutely reap the blessings and the benefits that Solomon laid out because God always, always holds up his promises. And so the, the twofold result uh, in verse 5 through 11 there we looked at was that we'll learn more of God. And we'll learn more of how to live for him. Doesn't it make sense that we, since God is the source of wisdom, and as we're searching for it, it involves praying to him and searching his word, doesn't it make sense that we learn more about him because of it? That we, that we are in more, better fellowship with him because of what we're doing? Um, I wonder if God planned it out that way. <laughs> Second blessing other than learning more of the fear of God and, and his knowledge is that we learn what it is to live for him, to live in those honest, moral, upright, ethical ways that, that please him, not in, a, not in a checklist of do's and don'ts, but just wisdom, wisdom's in our heart. And that, that's, what, that's what we want now. We have the appetite for living for God as opposed to sin. God's wisdom will change your, um, his wisdom in your heart will change your lifestyle. And that's what those verses are about. And then that leads to the, just this final point. We can then enjoy the blessing of a life that is not ruined by sin. Now, we can apply that spiritually. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God's wisdom, you are ruined by sin. And only He can fix you. Quit looking for any other answer. He's the only answer. No matter how broken, how ruined you think you are, His righteousness is so much greater than that. He can heal you. He can forgive you and cleanse you if you'll repent and trust Him. But in this chapter, obviously it tends more towards a growth and a maturity and then living your life, actually physically making decisions that aren't you know, terribly wicked decisions because God's wisdom has changed the way we look at things. So we enjoy the blessing of a life not ruined by those choices. Since God's wisdom shifts our outlook and changes our appetites and allows us to see the world the way he sees it, 
and make decisions based off that. What a protection and safeguard we have in our lives. Doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens to us. It doesn't mean that we never suffer or anything like that. But we're guarded from these devastating, dangerous, life-changing consequences that sin brings. When you put the lenses of, of God's wisdom on, sin looks so unattractive that it loses its luster. The evil man all of a sudden becomes this man walking in darkness down a crooked path and this beautiful woman is now all of a sudden this adulteress who's living in a cemetery full of ghosts. Why would you want to go there? I'll end with just a real simple quick illustration. Are any of you thinking about robbing a bank? Why not? You say, well, Brother Matt, not, not to mention stealing's wrong, but I'd probably get arrested and go to jail, ruin my life. Exactly. That's it. You, you can see beyond the immediate temptation of fast cash to the consequences, to what it would really mean to rob that bank. So wisdom is offering you a bit of protection, a bit of safeguard. You may not have ever thought about it that way, but that's, that's what wisdom, wisdom is. That's what Solomon's talking about here. So let's be encouraged to respond correctly to God's wisdom, knowing that he will supply the results and we'll be blessed with the protection of his wisdom. And my goodness, be thankful that he even cares to do that for us. All right, let's have a word of prayer. And then if you have any questions or any discussion, that, that's great. Father, thank you so much for this uh, just great chapter that you led Solomon to write. Uh, from the wisdom that you gave him. Help us to respond to your uh, wisdom correctly, Lord. We know that you'll fulfill uh, all your promises. Help us to learn more about uh, fearing you, living for you, Lord. Uh, and thank you for the, the protection and safeguard that wisdom gives us. Help us to enjoy uh, that we're blessed in that way in this life. Uh, forgive us when we fail you, Lord. And we thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We pray you are encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats, as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.